Amen. Turn to Romans chapter 2. The sermon is why we need a Savior. And um, as we've been going through the book of Romans, of course we had a break last week for family camp for some and, and Brett Shaw amongst us for others. And uh, now we come back to it, this time chapter 2. We need to remind ourselves that the first 17 verses of Romans are really introduction. Romans is a written sermon. Uh, not exactly like Hebrews, which is more probably uh, an inspired transcribed sermon. But this is one that's been put together by the Apostle Paul, probably under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to give us a good round exposition of what the gospel is. And so that makes it a little different than the book of, of Hebrews. And this is the gospel being given to us. And you can see that in verse, look at verse 15 of chapter 1. Verse 15 tells us, And so much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Of course, Paul wasn't in Rome, so how is he going to preach the gospel to him? He's going to do it through this epistle. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. And you're going to see that wording a lot in the book of Hebrews, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, and we'll explain why as we go when we see it. For in it, that's in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And we're going to see in the book of Romans that uh, there's a lot of Old Testament quotations there. A lot of Old Testament quotations and uh, we will be looking at the Old, Old Testament passages too. So, here's the gospel. And so, here's verse 18. You're going to start a gospel presentation? Here it is. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That's good news. <laughs> the gospel means good news. That's good news. Uh, well... No, it's not really good news. But a true gospel presentation will always present the bad before the good. And uh, we're talking about the law and the gospel. So that is vital. Men need to know they're sinners in need of God's grace. And a gospel presentation that ignores the sin problem is a problem itself. And we have a lot of that in, in modern day America. And really for the last hundred years it's been a major problem in our country. You know, come to Jesus, but come to him for the wrong reasons, basically. That's what he meant. You aren't happy? Then come to Jesus. He'll make you happy, you know. And uh, the sin problem, kind of ignored because people don't like to hear it. So it's kind of wiped out and such like that. But men need to see their real need or they will come to Jesus for the wrong reasons. They'll come for health. They'll come for wealth. They'll come for prosperity. They'll come for happiness. They'll come for a, a variety of reasons. They're in trouble, so they need some help. Okay. But the problem with that is, is that um, they didn't come for the right reason to deal with their sin issue. And because of that, and, and we touched on this as we went through chapter 1, because of that, they fall away. They didn't lose their salvation because you cannot lose your salvation when God, when the God's elect will always persevere. But they come expecting something. 
They come to Jesus thinking that their problems will be solved. And guess what? Sometimes we have more problems than what we started with. Because now we have persecution. We have the world and the devil fighting against us. And uh, we have a Savior, so we have a greater inward peace. This is very true. We have God. We have uh, something that we would never exchange for anything. But if you came for happiness, if you came for joy, if you came for money, if you came for wealth, if you came for, for health, whatever it was that you came for, if that's the reason that you came, then that person will probably fall away. Well, you know, I'm glad to tell you this. Even in gospel presentations that are less than what they ought to be, sometimes people are saved. Sometimes people are saved because the Holy Spirit will take the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, and the Word of God is being used the Holy Spirit can take that word and apply it to the heart, even if it hasn't been really as nicely presented as it ought to be or as truly presented as it ought to be. We see people saved in situations like that because that's the work of the Lord. So we need not, dis- we need not despair, but we also shouldn't compromise too. So what is the real need that we have? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And then it goes on and it goes on and it goes on. And we'll be going on for a few weeks in this thing. We, we already finished chapter 1, but chapter 2 continues the same theme. And then chapter 3 continues the same theme until we get down to about verse 21. When we finally hear the good news. But we need to get the bad news first before we get the good news. What is our real need? Our real need isn't health because we're all going to die, no matter how healthy you are today. Yeah, that's the truth. I, that, that really came home to me this morning. I uh, don't want to give too many details, but um, you know, we've got some extended family on Becky's side that um, we're going to a funeral today. Okay, so they wrote and talked about the fact they're going to a funeral today. And then they wrote and said in their little chat thing that Becky's part of and everything. And then they said, um, we just heard that uh, so-and-so died, you know, which is another relative. We don't know either of these people that died. We don't know them personally. But, you know, I started thinking, you know, the people that are writing this is about my age. And uh, I don't know about you, but and I really should think like this. It's harder when you're 20. It's harder when you're 30. But you hear of someone passing away. And you start thinking, I'm not going to live forever either. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to live forever. Now, I look at my mom and say, okay, I'll live that long. <laughs> How about that? Okay. <laughs> but in all seriousness, you know, we should think about death. And for the Christian, we have nothing to fear. And we have great glory. You know, Pat, quick, um, you quoted John Watson this morning, and, and rightfully so, at the Lord's Supper. John Watson always loved to say, you know, as we're taking the Lord's Supper, this is one time more and one time less. And when you're 90 years old, you can really see that would be one time less. Well, here's some lost people in Michigan that I was, I was talking about that are, are now confronted with death and very sad and you know what? May the Lord use even death to open people's eyes to the fact that we're not going to live forever and we need a Savior. May the Lord do that.
by his grace and by his mercy. Well, this is very, very true. As we look at these um, first three chapters of Romans, we find out that um, all people, all the world, and uh, the world as the Bible knows it is Jew and Gentile alike. That is very, very common to speak that way, just as uh, Romans does. All people, all the world are condemned because of their sin. Now, it's true that Adam's sin has made us all sinners, and we're all condemned in Adam's sin. But we have to get to chapter 5 to see that. Okay. One thing to remember is we're taking this bit by bit and piece by piece. The book of Romans was read in one setting, you know, before the people of God. It'd take a little over an hour to do that, but the book of Romans was read in one setting. And so you wouldn't just hear uh, the bad news and then get some left there. It's my job as a preacher of the gospel to give you the bad news, but also to give you the good news as we go before Paul does. Because Paul didn't leave his people just hearing the bad news. Okay. So we'll talk about the good news too, of course, and life in Jesus Christ, the Lord. And Adam's sin turned us all into sinners. But Paul is zeroing in on actual sin committed by each of us. The sins of society and the sins of our own person making. And so today we'll be dealing basically with verses 1 through 16 in chapter 2. And so as we do that, um, let me just uh, do it a little differently than usual. Instead of reading verses 1 through 11, we'll deal with those last, and uh, we'll deal with them very quickly. Let me spend the bulk of the time here on um, God's law in the Gentiles' heart, and then Jewish self-righteousness, and we'll talk about, you know, we're not going to criticize Jews, Jewish people today. Uh, as Paul talks about the Jewish people, he's talking about those that truly worship the true God, not the heathen, fake gods of the Romans and the Greeks. He's talking about those that knew who Yahweh was. That's what he's talking about, but knew who he was, but didn't know him. We've got a lot of people like that in today's world. They know about God. They know about Jesus. But they don't know him. That's the, what we find in America today. A lot of that. And that's kind of when you're reading about the, the Jewish people here in the book of Romans. Paul himself was a Jew. He certainly wasn't anti-Semitic because he was a Jew himself. But he's talking about his own people, his heritage that knew the Lord in their heads but didn't follow him properly. That's what we're talking about. So, first of all, we see a parenthesis. God's law in Gentile hearts. And uh, let me just read, starting in verse 12. For as many as have sinned without law will perish without law. As many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles do not have the law... By nature do the things in the law. These, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing, or else excusing them, in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. That's a mouthful and could be hard to understand, to be honest. So let's break it down in a way that we can understand it. 
And the way I'm breaking it down today is, is by a parenthesis. Now, when the Bible was written in Greek, it didn't have any punctuation. Okay. And it didn't have any capitalization either, because the Bible was written all in capitals, as best as we can tell. At least uh, the oldest manuscripts that we see uh, were written in, in what we would call capitals. So no punctuation, um, no capitalization, all these things that we have to take into account as we translate the Bible. Okay. And um, so they become somewhat interpretive themselves. But I think rightfully so, because let me just show you, look at verse 12. I'm going to read verse 12 and verse 16. And then posit to you that 13 through 15 is a parenthesis, as some of your Bibles will show, not all, but as some of your Bibles will show. Verse 12, for as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. You see how that just reads like a sentence? That's because there's a parenthesis in between. Let's talk about the parentheses first, and then we'll deal with verses 12 and 16. So, uh, as we look at that, we see, For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. And then here's the point that he's making. Okay. When the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law. Okay. And what he means by that is they don't have the Bible. You know, they live in a society where, where the Roman gods have been uh, exalted and uh, philosophy abounds. But what they don't have is a knowledge of Jehovah God. They don't have that knowledge. It's not part of their culture. It's not part of their training. It's not part of their upbringing. It's something they won't know unless missionaries come and show them the gospel, which is what Paul does. Yeah, okay. So when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. Now, the Bible written to Jews. Okay, and so they know the law. And even uh, the somewhat irreligious amongst them knew the law because they were usually trained in uh, synagogues and such like that as part of their heritage and also part of their worship. But there's something that's true that all men are made in the image of God. So all men, unless they suppress the truth, have an innate knowledge of right and wrong. And that's what he's talking about, that innate knowledge of right and wrong. They don't have the law, but it's amazing what they do. But we already read uh, Romans 18, 1, 18 through 32, and we saw that horrendous list of sins that was given there. So many of them that we see in our own society. Okay. So what do we say about that? Well, Gentiles suppress personally and in society. They suppress, they push down. They try to ignore right and wrong. Now in this New Testament age, there's always a remnant. But in society that embraces false religion or outright wickedness, the remnant can become very, very small. You know. 
Gentiles, as we see here, often do the law by following their conscience. And in most societies, the collective conscience follows along the lines of the second table of the moral law, uh, commandments five through nine specifically. And so think about commandment number five, you know, honor your parents. There are very few societies that tell you your parents are garbage, don't trust them, although some psychologists will tell you that when you go to them. Your problem's all your parents, you know. You wouldn't have any problems if your parents wouldn't have messed you up so bad. Okay, that's, that's horrible. We're all responsible for ourselves, and that's wicked to think that way. You know, it's true that sometimes there's things that have to be overcome from your background. Yeah, absolutely. We all have backgrounds that we have to, to overcome. We all do. But honoring your parents, the fifth commandment, is almost universally accepted amongst all cultures. You shall not murder. How would a society exist if it honored murder? If murder was the thing that, uh, you know, that would, would raise you up as a great hero, a great wonderful, the more people you kill, the better off you are. You know, Charles Manson was all worshiping, you know, this, this kind of thing. Although Manson didn't kill anybody, by the way. You know, he just taught other people to do it. But nonetheless, that aside, no, a society can't exist that honors murder. But what about murder of the unborn? Oh. Oh, my. Yeah. Great, great wickedness. You know. How about you should not commit adultery? I think still in our own society, uh, adultery is kind of frowned upon. That's not a good idea. But the Bible is much more expansive than that. It, it actually includes all sexual sins, and that's where our society doesn't agree. Our society has suppressed it and said, oh, no, you're free. Do what you want to do. And then maybe someday you'll settle down and get married. That'll be good. You know, but just do what you want to do. Be free. Or, you know, homosexual marriage, which, by the way, is impossible. Uh, you can get a license with a homosexual marriage, but you can't really get married not possible okay it's an impossibility just like uh, well i won't go on further okay you you know what i'm talking about the power of sexual sin is so great that many societies gladly bury and suppress the fact that these that this is wrong and wicked and ungodly and praise the very things that we ought to be ashamed of. And when that happens, just flip back to Romans 1, look at verse 26, Romans 1, 26. For this reason God gave them up to vile passions, for even the women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful, and received in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. Guess what? There is a penalty. Yeah. Oh, I'll tell you, it's, it's your own choice. Do what you want to do. I'm sorry, there's a penalty. There's a penalty, and it can be a grave penalty. Is it hopeless? Oh, no. Well, not, absolutely not. Um, those that uh, follow after these things can be saved and, and come to Christ and believe in Him. Absolutely they can be saved. You know, it's not the unpardonable sin, 
but it's a sin that carries with itself a built-in penalty. And why would it happen? Well, look at verse 32. Who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things, and that's not the only things listed, there's a lot of other things listed there too, but who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. And that explains a lot. That explains a lot of what's going on in our world today, here uh, in Europe, here in the United States. Well, you know, not committing adultery, you know. And that has to do with a whole range of sexual sins. And this is where Satan loves to entwine us, because it's so powerful. I, I, I could give you tons of stories of things like this, but just heard one um, just uh, yesterday about uh, a man who was a football coach um, at a very respected school, um, you know, loved and appreciated. Next thing you know, he had an affair. And uh, the woman actually was one that uh, speaks about um, uh, trauma, trauma from uh, rape and such like that. And next thing you know, she's saying, this is what he did to me. What we did was consensual. (laughs) Well, I don't know what's going to happen. I kind of do know what's going to happen. You're going to get fired. It's what's going to happen. You know, and that's the way it goes, you know. So these things just go on and on and on. So these sexual sins are powerful, and we need to guard our heart. Okay. And then not stealing. Commandment number nine. Uh, to, to not, not, commandment eight, sorry. To not steal. Um, you know, um, <laughs> most societies know what's wrong. Uh, we're kind of getting to the idea Oh, it's not so bad if you don't steal a whole lot. Just, you know, there's a dollar amount that you can steal, and we're going to look the other way and not care. Stealing is wrong. Stealing is sinful. And if you willfully and uh, purposely steal so much as a dollar, it's a sin. Even a penny. <laughs> Let me get ridiculous with this. Stealing is wrong. Absolutely wrong. And uh, then, how about um, lying, bearing false witness, you know, all these sorts of things, um, you know, or bearing false witness against your neighbor. That, that's how it's put. Bearing false witness against your neighbor, lying about your neighbor, gossiping about your neighbor, speaking wrong about your neighbor. It's sin. And it's wrong. And not only should we not do it, we shouldn't listen to it either. Okay? Let me make that perfectly clear. Not only should we not do it, we shouldn't listen to it either. You ever had somebody lie about you and bear false witness about you? You ever had that happen to you? Yeah, it it hurts. It's It's horrible. I've had it happen to me. It's a terrible thing when it happens, you know? Well, don't do it. That's what it amounts to. Don't do it. And, uh, you know, of course... um, a gossip columnist and such like that live, live off of this, bearing false and true witness against the neighbor. And how do you know which is which? So gossip altogether. Okay, so these are the things we're talking about. Society itself, unless it suppresses it, realizes that these things are wrong. Okay, 
Oh, no, the first table of the law, not so much. Okay, first table of the law, having no other gods before me and, and such like that. No, okay. But this is what Paul's talking about. The sins that society itself can see exists amongst the Gentiles who don't even know the Ten Commandments. And why? Because the image of God is within every person. And we have to suppress that, push it down personally. You know, you, I, you know, you probably never killed anybody. You probably never have purposely killed anybody, you know. Well, and you wouldn't even think of doing it. You don't want to do it, you know. And be glad. <laughs> be glad that most lost people feel that way. And be glad that's just the way society uh, manages to function. Okay, does that save anybody? No, but it just makes society so it can exist. Otherwise, men would have destroyed this planet, destroyed each other long, long ago. This is the mercy of God, that we have the image of God still remaining within men. Well, how about uh, what, the next point on the outline? Jewish self-righteousness. They're also lawbreakers. Verse 12. For as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law. So you know, that's, that's the Gentiles. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. Okay, now I'll stop there just for a second. When you know the law, when you know what God requires. Now, when it says thou shalt not commit adultery, what does it also mean? Lusting in your heart. When the Bible says thou shalt not steal, what does it also mean? Well, commandment number 10 that isn't really uh, looked at very strongly is thou shalt not covet. You say, wait a minute. Wait a minute, you know. No one can judge my thoughts. Well, <laughs> verse 16. In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Now that's written to the moralist, okay. The moralist that says, well, I would never do any of those things. I would, okay. Do you know that, that coveting, the most important commandment is from the first four. Okay, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Okay, that, that's the most important commandment. But you could argue that the second most important commandment, which is love your neighbor as yourself, but of the ten, how are you going to do that? Well, one of the ways is by following commandment number ten, which is the hardest of the, the final table to, to follow, thou shalt not covet. Because we can easily think, no one knows what I'm thinking. No one knows what I really want to do. No one knows my, my thoughts. And uh, you don't like it when somebody says, I know what you're thinking. No. Because you probably don't. <laughs> you probably don't really know what you're thinking. You're judging them. You're judging them wrongly. But God knows. God knows our thoughts. God knows our secrets. God knows our hearts. And it says right here, in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. So, men judge according to sight 
or what they perceive to be true. God knows the heart. And without Christ, as it says in the law, Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So as we see the, the Jewish culture that had the law in that day in the midst of a wicked culture that didn't have the law, but was sometimes following the things in the law, uh, we find in our own culture that there's uh, self-righteous religious people who know a lot about the Lord, know a lot about the Bible, you know, but don't necessarily believe it. One of the seminaries that I took some classes at was like that. They knew a lot about the Bible. They were scholars, world-class scholars. They knew Greek backwards and forwards in a way that I don't. I can read it. They knew it, you know. They could quote it. They could speak about it in intellectual terms. But for the most part, maybe all, did not know the Lord. They denied the Lord Jesus Christ and his divinity. They didn't believe he was God. So, well, there you go. You know, if you don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you cannot be saved. It's as, as simple as that. Well, the rest of chapter 2 exposes religious hypocrisy. And the hallmark of religious hypocrisy is simply this. And you can read it later. I'm not going to read it to you now for lack of, lack of time. But you can read it later. Matthew 23 is where you go. And it can simply be summed up like this. You wash the outside of the cup, looking really, really good, and inside it's like a dead man's tomb, you know, just full of all iniquity and uncleanness and dirt and filth. And uh, Christ says, wash the inside first, you know, not the outside. Wash the inside first. And we all need to do that by God's grace. And that's only done by God's grace. That's only by coming to Jesus Christ the Lord. You know, you can uh, go around this world as a very moral person. There are very moral um, lost people. They're, they're very honorable, moral, upright. You'd be glad to have them for your neighbor. You know, they, they exist. But unless they know the Lord, the most important thing is missing. Because it's not morality that's the most important thing. The most important thing is knowing him and serving him and loving him because he first loved us. So hearing and even knowing the law is not enough. Doing the law is what counts. That brings us to our next section, which is verses 1 through 11. And I did it this way because I wanted to make sure to spend enough time on that section there. We can go through this fairly quickly here. So let me just read you the first four verses of Romans 2. Therefore you are inexcusable, O man. And he's not talking about any particular person. I think you know that, right? He's talking in general about um, making ourselves specifically think about ourselves. Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge, practice the same things. And so the very first point, real simple, judge not. Judge not. It's easy to become the judge. It's easy to become the one that can point out every other flaw, every other problem, 
And um, that is not a healthy way to go through life, to be the judge, you know. So it's interesting. He doesn't mention that he's talking to his fellow countrymen yet until we get to verse 17. But it's obvious from the whole context that it is Jew and Gentile alike under the wrath of God and then the religious moralist that he's talking about here. And it would be easy for the Jews of Paul's day and the Christians of today to see the gross immorality of the world and not see our own sins. That doesn't mean the immorality doesn't exist, but not see our own sins. You know. Judge not is often used by those who don't want to be criticized at all, but it needs to be understood that it doesn't apply to God. Because Christ Jesus the Lord, as we saw in verse 16, is the righteous judge. And here in verse 2, we see, but we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. Uh, I skipped one thing I should mention here because it could be easily misunderstood. You know, um, for whatever you judge and another you condemn yourself, for you who judge practice the same things. And it'd be easy to say, no, I don't. I don't practice the same things. But we already talked about that matter of the heart and the matter of, um, let me put it this way. There's two truths that live together, and we need to hold them both in balance. Every sin is a wicked, devious, secret sins, overt sins. Every sin is sinned against a holy God. So it's deserving of death and hell forever. Every sin. So we can talk about the equality of sin. Every sin is against a holy God. But there's a second thing that we need to hold in truth. Even though being true, we can talk about all sin being equal before God. There are some sins that are more heinous than others. There are. There are some sins that really are worse than others. Why? Because of the destruction that they cause. The destruction to ourselves and to other people. Okay. So, and I use this illustration a lot, but it's, I think it's about as good an illustration as I can come up with. Uh, we know that uh, to, to hate someone in your heart is the same as murder, right? Now let's suppose that uh, that's what Jesus said. Now let's suppose somebody hated me. Okay. That may be true someplace, I don't know. <laughs> Let's suppose there's someone that hated me. Um, I would rather that they hated me than pulled out a gun and shot me and killed me. <laughs> okay. Okay. So we can see that the heinousness that follows um, certain actions. To hate is a terrible sin before God. But when we actually kill somebody, let's suppose we kill the breadwinner of a family, we now have taken away a father, we've taken away a husband. We've taken away one that is being counted upon and important. We've left children to be orphans. Okay, I'm not going to go. You can see how it works that way. Some sins are more heinous than others. That one's an obvious one that you can see. But don't think for a minute that hatred isn't also absolutely wicked and deserving of death. So, uh, verse 2. Let's go to to verse number 3 here. Well, one more thing I want to say about verse number two. Um, Some people thought that, uh, some people that he's writing to, he's using, uh, you know, 
kind of a dialogue, for instance. That was something very, very popular to do uh, in the early days, to create a dialogue. And so some people thought, well, God's going to overlook my sins because uh, I'm, I'm, I'm Jewish. That means I'm in covenant relationship with God because I'm Jewish. And uh, in fact, in the uninspired intertestamental Jewish book of wisdom, I have to put all that in there so that you know that it's not the word of God, but it is an intertestamental between um, the Old Testament and New Testament writing. This is in 15 verses 1 and 2, chapter 15, 1 and 2. But you, our God, are good and true, slow to anger and governing all with mercy. Good. For even if we sin, we're yours and know your power. <laughs> no way. <laughs> you know? Here, here's the thing, saying something very true. Even if we sin, we're yours and know your power. And there is a truth in that, isn't there? We know that if through Jesus Christ the Lord, we're still sinners and we still sin. Okay. Uh, but we're not happy about it. We don't glory in it. We can't say it's okay. You know? For even if we sin, we're yours and know your power. They're relying on the covenant, is what they're doing. They're relying on the covenant uh, for their salvation. And the Jewish covenant never saved anybody. Salvation's always been by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ alone. It's always been that way. And even they say, well, they didn't have Christ. Yeah, well, they looked ahead. They knew the promises that there was a coming one. Okay. But I'll be fair, because it didn't stop there. I don't want to be, I don't want to just be unfair about things. For even if we sin, we're yours and know your power. But then it goes on to say, but we shall not sin, knowing we belong to you. So kind of cleaned it up. But I just wanted to point that out for a a mindset that can easily exist, you know. So it's so easy to see and abhor the sins of others, but we really see ourselves to who we really are. And then verse 3. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you'll escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? And there it is. In the midst of the bad news, there's a word of good news. The grace of God leading to repentance, you know. But uh, it's so easy to presume on privilege, and that's what I'm talking about there, to presume on privilege, to think that the experience of God's goodness meant that God would not judge them as strictly as the heathen. I I don't want to over-romanticize our our own country and our past, but but let me say this. I, I was raised in Michigan, and as I recall, most people in Michigan, you'd ask them, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm an American, you know. <laughs> and in the Bible Belt, that still kind of exists today, you know. Uh, there are a lot of people in Tennessee and in places like that in the South. Are you a Christian? Well, yeah, I'm not a heathen, you know. Okay. Well, it's easy to do in a society that that uh, has a lot of light and a lot of truth, and certainly the Jewish society had a lot of light and a lot of truth. 
But they also had a lot of darkness. I mean, they were willing to crucify the Lord of glory along with the Romans. The Romans, yeah, for them to do it, that was nothing to them, you know. Uh, for, for the Jewish folks to do it and thinking they're doing God's service. Ooh, that, that's pretty rough, you know. So, you know, you can kind of equate that to, to some extent. To those that are religious today, yet do not really know the Lord. Maybe they're in a false religion of some kind that's a kind of an offshoot of Christianity, like Mormonism, for instance, or, or some other thing like that, or false Protestantism or Roman Catholicism, all those sorts of things. It's easy to presume on privilege. But you know what? When you have light, and you have privilege, and you have knowledge, and you have an open Bible, and you can read that open Bible, and you still refuse to believe the truth. Just the opposite is true. The ones who knew the Lord's command and disobeyed, figuratively, is to be beaten with more stripes than the ignorant. You know, and um, that's what this is talking about. The same judgment. You'll escape the judgment of God. Do you despise the riches of his goodness, the forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you're treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds. Now, I'm not going to do too much with the, the rest of the passage. So let me just read the rest of the passage to you, and then we'll go back and talk about that. Okay, 5 and 6. But verse 7, we will render it to each one according to his deeds, eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but uh, obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek, but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For there's no partiality with God. That's the point he's trying to make. There's no partiality with God. Okay. But uh, the Jew had the word of God. The Jewish people had the word of God. The Gentiles did not. They needed the word of God. So, you know, they were responsible for that truth. And many of them believed the truth. Many of them obeyed the truth. And it was a great glory. Um, and the remnant that we will see in heaven from Old Testament times is going to be primarily Jewish. Primarily Jewish, because those were the people of God. You know, not all of them were the people of God, but uh, there aren't many Gentiles that know the truth from the Old Testament. Those of us that are Gentiles... Uh, we come from the stock of heathen, real heathen, true heathen, you know. And so there is a great advantage to being Jewish. We'll see that in chapter 3. But, um, you know, there's also a great responsibility. I think Spider-Man said that, or had it said to him. <laughs> With great power comes great responsibility. Very true. It's, that's the truth. <laughs> okay. But it's not in the Bible. <laughs> okay. But it kind of is. Because that's what it's talking about here. Responsibility. Being responsible for what you've been told. Responsible for what you know. And so, you know, this, this here, let me just finish it up with verses 5 and 6. And then the rest of it agrees with that. But according 
with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you're treasuring up for yourself wrath and the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. And this we see in verse 16, in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. He's talking about the last day. He's talking about the great judgment day. The great judgment that takes place that everyone will be at. And um, I was going to have you turn to Revelation 20:11, but I decided to put it on your outline instead. You can turn there if you want to, Revelation 20, verse 11, but you can also read it in your outline. Some try to drive a wedge between Paul and James. Uh, they say James is a legalist and Paul is, is all grace, and, and uh, it's not, that's not true. Paul and James believe the same gospel, and the uh, same thing with Peter and Paul. They believe the same gospel, and um, so these things, it really depends on context. You need to, to read the whole context. Here, uh, people that say that Paul and James don't have the same uh, you know, philosophy or, or belief system. Looks like, it, looks like I can read right out of the book of James. But so much of the book of James can read right out of what Paul is saying with free grace. Well, Romans, or not Romans, but Revelation 20. Then I saw a great white throne, and he who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before the throne. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead which were in it. Death and Hades delivered up the dead that were in them. And they were judged, each one, according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So what we see taking place here is lost people being judged according to their works. Some people think, well, my, my good works will outweigh my bad works one day in, in heaven, or, or they'll be close, and so I'm sure that I'll get into heaven. God will let me into heaven because of my good works. If you're judged according to your works, you're going to hell. Simple as that. I don't care how good you are. If you're being judged according to your works, you're going to hell. That's the truth of the matter. The books will be opened, and there's another book that can be opened. It's the book of life. And it has nothing to do with your works. The book of life is written before the foundation of the world, and it has to do with those that know the Lord Jesus Christ, know the truth of the gospel. And uh, you can prove that elsewhere. Philippians 4, verse 3. Um, Paul, and I put part of it on your outline there. Philippians 4, 3. And I urge you also, true companion, Paul says, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Okay. And the focal point of the final judgment is, are you in Christ? If so, you're in the book of life, written before the foundation of the world. Revelation 3, 8, 13, 8. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it, talking about the beast, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. It's not a book that you write your own name into. It's a book that God has written. You know. Without Christ, you'll be justly condemned by your works. As the books are read for the lost, it won't be balancing good works against bad works. 
Because, guess what? Outside of Christ, all your works are bad. Truth of matter. Even as Christians, we can't trust in our works because all of our works are flawed. So we trust in Christ and his righteousness. So, just to conclude, uh, three quick applications. Um, Christian friend, be very careful how you judge another person. The Bible says, judge not, and you'll not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you'll be judged. And with the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. And so um, we could just say, like um, the Bible said, be not many teachers, for we shall receive the greater condemnation. That's true. If you're standing uh, like myself, myself this morning, and I'm telling you things, if I'm telling you lies, I'm accountable for that. Accountable for that. You know. But, you know, judge not. That's be not judged. Let's be a gracious people. Never, never excusing sin. Okay, not that. I'm not talking about that. But not looking uh, for that. Instead, for the sinner, what does the sinner need? Doesn't need to clean himself up. He needs the gospel. He needs Jesus Christ the Lord. He needs to be told that there's hope for him. Yeah, he needs to be told bad news. Absolutely. We're talking about bad news right here. But he needs the gospel. So, you know, we, we need more gospel witnesses. We really don't need more fruit inspectors. Okay. Well, I'm just a gospel fruit inspector. We need more gospel witnesses. Okay. And second of all, Christian friend, be thankful to God that he's turned you from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God. And then a third application, Christian friend. You do not need to fear the great judgment day that's coming, for Jesus has paid the penalty for you. And guess what? You're not guilty. You're not guilty. What an amazing thing. But one application to the lost. Prepare now to meet God. Prepare now. That great judgment day is coming. Then it's too late. You'll be amongst those in Revelation that cry out for the mountains to cover you and hide you from the face of the one that sits on the throne. There's a lot of pictures like that in the book of Revelation. Once you die, it's too late. Come to Christ now. Repent and believe the gospel. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you that you tell us to repent. But we thank you that you tell us to believe. Repent and believe the gospel. Father, what a, what a great story it is. And then we stand before you not guilty. We stand before you clothed in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ the Lord, who died for his people, bore all of their sins upon himself on the cross, and then gives us his righteous life that he lived as our own life. So the imputation is an amazing thing, Father. Double imputation. He takes our sins, he gives us his righteousness. We thank you for that, Father. For what my hands have done could never be sufficient. But it's what you've done for us that know you. We thank you and give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.